Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Welcome. Today, we're talking about caring. And there's been some new developments, announcements made by the New England Fisheries Management Council of some decisions that were made yesterday in Portland, Maine, on issues related to the Atlantic herring, the catch and regulation. So I'm going to take a minute to go over three neat things, three parts of that, and then uh, Dorothy and Dan are here with me, ORI's summer interns, and we're going to kind of dissect and, and reassemble and explain and figure out what the heck is going on with all these fish in the sea here, or at least these little guys, these little forage fish. So the Fishery Council has reaffirmed the current ecosystem-based management approach for river herring and shad, and they've launched work on the 2019 to 2021 Atlantic herring regulations with an effort to reduce the catch in future years. Uh, The first aspect is around the river herring and shad, and the council voted to take no action on including two species of river herring alewives and blueback herring, and shad as stocks in the Atlantic Herring Fisheries Management Plan. This reaffirms the management of river herring and shad along with the Atlantic uh, sea herring. Uh, that should, it should continue, um, and it's, they're going to be doing it in the current program, which is more locally based than um, often the federal offshore waters and stuff. And this is good for the local fishermen. Um, This is a reversal of the council's 2015 decision not to manage river herring and shad in federal waters through the Atlantic Herring Fisheries Management Plan. River herring and shad already are managed through a coast-wide collaborative process led by Atlantic State Marines Fishery Commission. You need a scorecard to keep track of all the players here. Uh, And the National Marine Fisheries Service, uh, which is part of NOAA, fisheries with the New England and the Mid-Atlantic Fishery Councils as integral partners. And then there are state agencies that are implementing the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission's approved sustainable management plans. And then both the fish councils use catch caps, you know, limits to how much they can catch to control the incidental take of river herring, shad, and in the, and in the Atlantic herring and mackerel fisheries, respectively, in federal waters. So the vast majority of the river herring shad harvest takes place in state waters, and those are uh, in-river in harvest at the stock level, and only on those fish stocks that can be harvested at sustainable levels through the commission-approved plans. And so the rest of the areas are all closed to the taking of herring and shad. The next, aspect, the next thing they talked about in their press release in Port, from Portland is uh, are the Atlantic mackerel impacts on the Atlantic herring fishery. So the Mid-Atlantic Fishery Management Council, they're developing a framework adjustment to set the mackerel regulations for the 2019 to 2022 fishing years to rebuild the stock. So this is getting ready for the next set of uh, regulations for the next time frame. Every frame is three years. And the framework also is considering 
alternatives to manage mackerel landings during the fishing year to slow the catches as the fishery approaches the annual quota. So currently, the mackerel quota is fully harvested, and then the possession limit is reduced to zero. And many fishermen who target Atlantic herring are also catching mackerel. So a zero possession limit on mackerel greatly impacts, it essentially closes that herring fish, that piece of the herring fishing industry. So the New England Council has agreed to send a letter to the Mid-Atlantic Council supporting its in-season alternatives to manage the mackerel landings with a phased-in possession limit reductions. And then finally, the Atlantic Herring uh, 2019-2021, the next three-year regulations being set up, uh, was addressed. And the New England Council voted to initiate a regulation package that would set limits to the next three years of fishing using the updated information from the 2018 benchmark stock assessment. The assessment has just been completed, and it's going to be peer-reviewed in Woods Hole later this month. So uh, pending approval from the peer review, uh, they are going to proceed. And they're able to proceed because they got a preliminary overview of the draft findings, and they discussed the options for addressing what can be, what could be a substantial reduction in catch limits over the next three years. So the preliminary results of that stock assessment indicate that the recruitment, the incoming year classes of newly born fish, has been poor for several years. The working group stated that four of the six lowest estimates of herring recruitment occurred in 2013, 2015, 2016, and 2017. This means very few young fish have been added to the resource in recent years. Not good. The preliminary findings, the need for large herring catch reductions in 2019 to 2021 management years, those preliminary indications are causing the council to call for immediate action to lessen the impact right now so that it'll lessen the impact um, on the population down the road. Uh, the 2018 catch currently is capped. They're permitted to catch up to 1,111,000 1, metric tons of Atlantic herring, and that's the same amount as 2017 cap regulated take. However, in 2017, the fleet only harvested roughly 50,000 metric tons. So that's less than half of what they were permitted to take. So in response to these preliminary findings, the Fishery Council is calling for freezing the footprint, the catch take, at 50,000 metric tons. And so they're calling on the administrator at the National Marine Fisheries Service to make it so. And then because the Council's 2019 to 2021 herring management program will not be implemented until, well, it won't be implemented until January 2019, but it won't even be implemented then because uh, it's not ready. And this is the start of the next herring fishing year. And so the old regulations will roll over the old regulation of taking up to 111,000 metric tons will roll, roll over and begin again in January and remain in place until NOAA Fisheries implements the final herring rule. 
And this could take more than a year. So therefore, it's really important for the herring survival. It is paramount that the National Marine Fisheries Service Regional Administrator heeds the call by the Fishery Council to freeze the catch footprint to 50,000 metric tons this year, next year, 2019, maybe 2020, depending on how long it takes to get the next regulations in place. So it's uh, impressive work. And uh, we need to back up the council in making these recommendations because you can be sure there are other interests that do not want to see a reduction in the catch. And so we're going to be explaining today what you can do to help uh, keep the catch down on uh, the herring fishery and how you can encourage uh, catching uh, more sea herring without taking the incidental take or bycatch of the river herring that we all care so much about. So integral to this whole process is an understanding about forage fish. What are forage fish? So here to unravel this conundrum with me are Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, Rob. Hi, And Dorothy. Hello. And so, Dan, let's start off with what are forage fish? Yeah, sure. Forage fish are fish that are integral to the diet of many of the sea creatures, including bigger fish, whales, seals, dolphins, and even seabirds. Um, some North Atlantic forage fish include herring, Manhattan, sandlance, and the mackerel. Yes. And, and so the big one is, you know, we're talking about Atlantic herring. We're talking about herring. So uh, we've got Atlantic herring and we have river herring. And um, so the river herring are the ones in the rivers, right? And then the Atlantic herring are in the ocean. Uh, but Dorothy, tell me more about what are Atlantic herring. So Atlantic herring, um, basically the main difference between them and river herring is they spend their entire life cycle in the ocean. Um, so uh, they are silvery fish. They grow up to about 14 inches long. Um, they have blue or green looking back. Um, they also um, have a very different spawning season than river herring do. Uh, Atlantic herring spawn from August through November, whereas river herring spawn in the early to late spring. Um, That's really surprising because we're used to going down and seeing the river herring, but it's just river herring, right? Right. So um, female herring can produce between 30,000 and 200,000 eggs in one spawning session, and schools of uh, Atlantic herring can produce so many eggs uh, during the spawning season that they end up covering the ocean floor in a dense carpet of eggs that is multiple centimeters thick, which is a good thing because lots of Sea creatures like a snack on their eggs, so it's good to have a lot of extras. And then uh, by late spring, they grow into juvenile herring, where they form large schools in coastal waters. And so fish like uh, winter flounder, cod, haddock, and hake feed on the eggs, whereas um, the abundant and still tiny uh, juvenile herring are prey for other larger fish, sharks, skates, marine mammals, and seabirds. So the Atlantic herring, by being in the ocean year-round, provide all stages chips and bites for the other marine life. Right. Um, and then uh, river herring. Um, tell me about the river herring. So there's three different main breeds of river herring, and they're kind of hard to tell apart because they all look very similar. Um, 
if you live anywhere near Cambridge, I'm sure you've heard of uh, the alewife, which is a type of river herring. Um, they tend to be pretty small, around uh, 10 inches long, and they like to swim from, they spend their adult life in the oceans, and when it's time to spawn, they swim up rivers like the Mystic River um, and into freshwater ponds and other slow-moving water where they spawn at night. Um, spawning lasts a few days, and after they've released and fertilized all the eggs, they return to the ocean very tired. Um, <laughs> the month-old juvenile herring, once they've hatched from their eggs, once they get to about a month old, they start the journey back to the sea, and it takes about six or seven years before they reach sexual maturity and return to the rivers to spawn. Um, and they swim in schools of thousands of fish, and they often end up schooling with Atlantic herring because they have similar roots. Yeah, they look so similar. Must be. Yeah. Uh, and then there's blueback herring. Right. So blueback herring have a very similar coloring to alewife. They're notoriously hard to tell apart. Um, they tend to be a bit bigger. Their max size is around 16 inches, and they also have smaller eyes and thinner bodies than alewives do. But um, the easiest way to tell them apart is by their behavior because they spawn later in the spring than alewives do, and they also have a different preference for spawning. They like to spawn over rocks in fast-moving water during the day uh, rather than slow-moving water at night. But for both the blueback and the alewife, they have very sticky eggs that end up sticking to the river bottom. Um, and they also tend to be, or they are pickier eaters, basically, than alewife, which means that they um, have a more limited like source of food, which means they're more affected by habitat limits, pollution, and like other factors that mess with the food chain. Um, they're found in fewer rivers than alewife are, and they tend to stay south of Cape Cod um, because of their more limited river range and food options. Uh, the blueback herring are the more threatened herring species, and there's a campaign right now to have them recognized as a threatened species. Yes. That's interesting how they spawn over rocks and, and like fast-moving water. So in the summertime, when I'm down at the Esplanade on, on, in Boston, you can see uh, herring lounging around the edges of the, of the Charles River there. They must be the alewives because the water is slow and they're not moving around the way that the... Um, that's interesting how to tell them apart because you, they're, they're really hard to tell apart by the... which has got more blue on its back, one or the other. And there's a third herring... And what's that? Right, this is the broiest of the herring, the shad. <laughs> um, it's in the same genus as other herring, even though the word herring isn't in their name. Um, they actually tend to be the biggest. Uh, they can grow up to a foot and a half in length. And also, in true uh, shad fashion, the males swim upriver first before the females do. Um, and like the alewife, they like to spawn at night. But... Unlike either the alewife or the blueback, they, um, their eggs don't stick to the bottom of the river. The eggs kind of just sweep along with the current. Um, and the juveniles mature and swim in schools in the rivers before swimming back to the ocean in the fall. So they tend to stay 
they move for longer than the other two species. And because they're the larger of the herring, the adults have fewer predators besides seals. So they hang out in the rivers to get big, or right. to get bigger right. before heading out into the briny deep out there. Uh, so so those are the, that's our cast of characters. And now on the other side, we have the fishermen. And um, I guess, Dan, you were going to ask me about them. Yeah, so we, at the beginning of the program, you were talking a lot about the New England Fisheries Management Council. Uh, is this a government institution, or is it a local group of fishermen? Good question. There's always a set, the fishermen will tell you it's the government pushing them around, and the conservationists will tell you it's the fishing industry pushing the council around, and they're both right. It's a quasi-government industry organization. About half the members are from industry. They represent the different industries, lobstering, scallops, shellfish, bait fish, um, you know, on up the line and stuff, uh, and, uh, commercial fishermen. And then the, uh, the government side of it is every state will have a Department of Fisheries, Marine Fisheries, and their person is on the council. And then the governor can appoint uh, his person to represent the state on the council as well. So it becomes a, a learned body of, of uh, half and half. And what they... They will work up. Um, they will. They will spend three years developing a plan on how best to manage a fish stock, and they then uh, give it to the National Marine Fisheries Service to implement. And the administrator puts puts the, you know. So they have to. And it has to be pleasing to the, the feds in order to happen. But they they're involved all the way through, so it's never a problem. Um, and now we've run out of time, so we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk, uh, where are we? Oh, we're going to talk about what is bycatch and incidental take. So um, hang on a minute, and we'll be right back after this break. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners 
partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI Eco Steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. I'm here with Dorothy Cooperson Dewig. 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 She practices ahead of time. And Dan Willis. And we're talking herring. And the herring are, have a tough situation. There seems to be an abundance of Atlantic herring, no matter how you think, no matter how hard they fish them. But apparently not. Apparently, uh, they are. Um, they're, to me, they're like passenger pigeons. We, just, we knew we could hunt lots of passenger pigeons, and then suddenly there were too many gone, and the remainders just couldn't make a go at it, and they just collapsed. And around the waters around the United Kingdom, they had shoals of herring, and then suddenly the herring weren't there. And what was interesting today, earlier in the program, Dorothy was telling us about how the, the, the herring lay their eggs across the bottom, covering the bottom of the sea, the Atlantic herring. And so, you know, if we are disturbing the bottom, the trawling or with cable lining, laying down cable or whatever we do at the bottom, that could have an impact on a bunch of herring eggs. And you hit enough eggs, you can start. So the, the answer to saving the herring is not just reducing the catch, it's also improving their environment and having less destruction um, in other non-direct ways than, than fishing as well. So it's a complex problem, and one of the problems is that when they're fishing for herring, there's bycatch, and this is an issue that's plaguing the, um, the Fisheries Council and the management of fish forever, is how do you manage the bycatch, and, and what are, Dorothy, what are they talking about when we're saying manage the bycatch? Right, so just in general, bycatch um, happens when basically, if you're not just a single fisherman with a pole you're going to be casting out a net and catching multiple fish. Um, and especially commercial ventures send out really, really big nets and catch, like, tons of fish at a time. And you're pretty much guaranteed to get at least one uh, sea creature in there that's not the target species that you are fishing. And that's what bycatch is. It's catching um, other creatures that you weren't intending to catch. So um, when I was talking before about how 
um, the River Herring school, often with the Atlantic Herring along the coast. Um, this causes a lot of problems with bycatch because, um, so basically when the River Herring aren't spawning, they're hanging out in the ocean and they're, they're schooling with the Atlantic Herring, which means that even though there's a ban on fishing, river herring, um, trawlers who are fishing for Atlantic herring end up scooping up river herring by accident because they are swimming together, um, which is obviously not good because the river herring are, are pretty vulnerable uh, due to the whole spawning thing and all, you know, uh, dams and whatnot, everything that we do that affects the rivers. So um, this has a negative impact on their population. They get scooped up in the ocean when they're fertile, which means that they can't go and spawn in the rivers and add to the population anymore. Um, so one interesting thing is that one big trawling catch could um, end up eliminating an entire generation of river herring because it's just so many tons of fish. That's right. These midwater trawlers can have such a large net that they're trawling through the water. They're trying to keep it off the bottom, but for the most part, and the most part they do, but it's so large it could um, catch a year class of herring for a, a river of New England because most of these rivers have rather small populations. There's been a lot of efforts to uh, restore the herring in our rivers, wonderful efforts to put in fish ladders and take down dams, uh, but uh, it's, still, um, it's still a process, and uh, there are lots of opportunities to get involved in that. Uh, for more information on that, you should visit our webpage at Ocean River. Dot O-R-G. Dan, where are we? We're talking about overfishing. And um, so how is it possible? To, why do we have an overfishing problem with such an abundant fish as herring? Well, it boils down to this one fundamental problem. Fishing innovation is happening far faster than fishing regulation. New, more efficient fishing vessels and equipment that are capable of catching massive amounts of fish are constantly being developed while the regulations for this equipment simply can't keep up to ensure that these new practices are sustainable. And that's the problem that the New England Fishery Council keeps running into because they meet once every three years while fishermen are constantly thinking of new ways to improve their uh, catches. They spent three years developing it. Yeah, exactly. And meanwhile, they're looking at three-year-old technology by the time it's... Precisely, yeah, and that's the issue. So there are two main types of massive midwater trawlers. Those are the ones that are doing that are responsible for most of the overfishing. Um, they catch huge proportions of herring, and they're disturbing the seafloor. And then there are smaller vessels that more local fishermen use, like purse signs, small mesh bottom trawls, and fishing weirs. And although these are also responsible for a proportion of herring getting catched, they're doing far less damage than the massive trawlers are. Right. Their damage is much smaller, mm -hmm. and they're not capable of catching the year class of, you know. So, um, yes, exactly. Exactly. They won't be the ones eliminating an entire generation of herring in one pass. And Dorothy, um, oh no, here we go. So are there certain, Dan, are there certain places where the herring are found? Absolutely. Well, they can be found in the rivers and the breeding grounds. When they're out at sea, they're mostly localized in places called oceanic hotspots. And you can think of a hotspot like a biological oasis in the ocean um, with large numbers of endemic species. And an endemic species is a species that's localized to a single region, which really speaks to the importance of the areas. Um, and the way that these hotspots are discovered and demarcated 
how by using fishermen's data um, from their catches, they look at the kind of fish that they're hauling up and where they caught them, and that's how they're finding out which zones have the highest concentrations of the certain kinds of fishes. Um, and at a regional scale, these hotspots are really useful um, for policymakers to guide conservation outlines and recommendations, and the council's actively mapping out hotspots because they're seasonal, and not only that, but they're always moving over time depending on where nutrients can be found, based on where predators are, all sorts of different factors that are constantly shifting. And they do all this to make sure that their catch regulations are the most up-to-date and the most comprehensive. Yes, exactly. And so this is really the essence of ecosystem-based management, is that they find there are certain places, like there's a hot spot off of Race Point in Provincetown and Cape Cod, and there's just a lot of fish out there. And it used to be when there are a lot of fish out there, they just figured there are a lot of fish out there. It applies to the whole ocean, you know. And so go for it. If there's this many there, let's average it out, to, you know. And so the fishermen would average it out. And the conservationists are saying, no way, it can't be that much. But now we've learned that um, there are these hot spots, and they, they're not all the time, and they um, are coming together of positive conditions for the, all uh, fish at once. Rob, can you tell us yeah. a little bit about... Uh, the newest herring regulation that's being developed? Yes, I'd be delighted to do that. Uh, so we're down, down to amendment number eight for the Atlantic Herring Fisheries Management Plan. That means in past years they've had lower number amendments, and the Fisheries Council has prioritized an amendment to consider control rules for the Atlantic herring fishery that account for herring's role as forage in the ecosystem. So these are tremendous steps forward that we've seen in the last 10 years. You know, less than 10 years ago, the Ocean River Institute, along with a commercial fisherman and recreational boat operator, uh, sued the Fisheries Council and, and sued uh, NOAA, basically, for not taking an ecosystem-based approach to the fishing of herring. And, um, and, and instead, they just said, we are, but we won't, and then they we hadn't, and then they just past the, the old stuff. So now they are working hard at uh, meeting the benchmarks along the line. And so I'm quite pleased with the goals they've set up. The goals are three goals. To account, the role, account for the role of herring within the ecosystem, including its role as forage. Two, to stabilize the fishery at a level designed to achieve optimum yield so that the fishermen can make a living at it. And three, to address localized depletion in the inshore waters. And so they have come up with a number of alternatives. Uh, this is the standard practices, let's say. Alternative number one is do nothing at all. And, of course, yeah, that's an option, but that's not the one we want. The one that we want is um, an alternative that addresses both the uh, localized depletion and the, uh, takes, an, takes an ecosystem-based approach by telling uh, the large midwater trawlers that they must fish at least 50 miles offshore because it's the inshore waters where the purse and the small mesh draggers and um, other fish and fishing weirs on Cape Cod at the Eldridge family, got an earlier program about that on Moyers Environmental Dialogues. Uh, so these local areas... And also, the inshore waters is where 
the more of the river herring are going to be hanging out than the water is 50 miles or more offshore. So by able, by, block, by mapping out different areas to fish different types of fishing, that's considered an ecosystem-based approach, so looking at the ecosystem. It's a little more complex than that. There are a couple of further out hotspots that they want to protect, and there may be a couple of places inshore where they can come a little close. I don't think so. I think it's just a lot of hotspots out there, but there's some variations, but, you know, not too much dwelling on the details, but um, overall, it's a good plan. The challenge is that in the bycatch, in the definition of bycatch, is incidental take. So incidental take is taking a species you don't mean to, which is bycatch, but it's one you can sell to market. So when the fisherman lands a mixture of Atlantic sea herring, river herring, and shad, um, the market pays him by the ton for the whole thing. They don't discriminate between how much is this fish or that. Uh, so it's an incidental take. So it's it's virtually impossible for the midwater trawlers to hit one um, to be able to discriminate which ones they're hitting. So therefore, we just got to move them farther offshore. So with all this in mind, Rob, I believe you created a petition. Yes. Thank you for you and Dorothy have been helping us. So we have a petition, um, and we have sent it out to our 40,000, more than 40,000 uh, people who subscribe to our e-alerts. You go to oceanriver.org and hit subscribe to e-alerts, and you'll be receiving opportunities to make a difference. And one of them was this opportunity to comment. And so 120, no, 1,267 uh, people have signed the, uh, our letter to the New England Fisheries Council saying, please go with the alternatives that are the right ones for the herring catch. And... Um, Thousands, you know, 1,200 signed it, and hundreds wrote comments. And then um, Dan and Dorothy, you guys are good. What did you do with those comments? Well, we organized them yeah. by state from where we got responses. As it wasn't just people from Massachusetts and New England. We got responses from people all over the country. It speaks to uh, people realizing how important this issue is and how vital it is to the overall health of our oceans. So we took those... Um, these responses, we organized them by state. We uh, took all the people that left comments, and we read through them all, and they were all very nice, and we appreciate them. You wrote back to them, right? Oh, yeah, and everybody that left comments, we wrote back to them, uh, thanking them for their initiative and encouraging them to spread the word to their friends, encourage them to write in as well. And then to all the people that were kind enough to sign but didn't have the time to leave a comment, we wrote back to them, thanking them again for their signatures, but encouraging them to leave comments as well, because a signature is a good starting point, but the words of the people have a much larger impact uh, yes. with the council. Exactly. The council likes, and especially uh, the government, because they like to know they're serving people, and if there's more than just a few herring years responding, uh, it, it means a lot. Uh, I like the way you guys personalized your response, because most people uh, didn't write comments but maybe one out of ten wrote a comment or something. And so you wrote back to them by state. So you said, hey, California, thanks for writing, you know, because everyone expects a form letter or they expect a, a, a artificially generated, you know, dear Sam, because they can read that stuff. But um, 
That was a little different take. Hopefully, they won't think it was too much of a form letter. And as we were reading through them, we found I, I found some wonderful comments that you guys had caused to happen. So that's really great. If you would like to participate in this effort of communicating why you care about herring or shad to um, to the Northern Fisheries Management Council, please go to our website www.oceanriver.org. You will see on the homepage six campaigns. One of them says herring on it with a picture of herring. And you click on that, and it will take you to information about what we just talked about today and a sign-on letter. You can see the letter, and you can add a comment. Um, if you think of it later, you can write to us later with more comments and stuff. Um, but um, so we got some comments, right? Oh, yeah. So uh, we... Um, we're hurrying around to just bring you some of the, the top comments of, um, that we received on this. So we're going to do a little round robin and share some top comments here. Um, uh, Dorothy, why don't you start? And what I'm going to ask you to do is to read the comment and then the first name and town and state of the writer. All right. So this is one that I really like. Um, this comes from Pat in uh, Norfolk, Virginia who says, for decades now, I felt that all fishing should be managed in a way to be responsible. Overfishing of species will lead to their extinction, and the oceans seem remarkably less populated already. Herrings are important to the food chain, and their existence needs to be preserved. I live in a fishing town and have seen firsthand the dearth and catch. I have also lost a fisherman friend at sea this year as he tried to provide for his family. Please support inshore fishermen and send midwater trawlers offshore. Wow. I like that one was very personal. She said she lost a family member or a friend. Well, she knew someone who had died in a wild fishing. Yikes. Okay, Dan, it's a hard, hard act to follow. <laughs> uh, this one's not quite so, uh, so depressing. This is from Susan from Kent, Washington. She said, These fish are the core of the mid trophic level of the Atlantic near shore ecosystem. This is a vital functional component that has been devastated by decades of overfishing. Oceans cannot sustain their own populations of predatory wildlife when their prey fish are being scooped from the Atlantic. Unless and until the Atlantic herring are recovered, anyone wishing the great privilege of helping themselves to the ocean's biomass must be confined to what this fragile population can bear without impeding recovery. And who is that from? That was from Susan? Susan from Ken Washington. She definitely Ken Washington. knew what she was talking about. Yeah. I have one here from Crystal of New York, New York. I grew up on herring. I miss the stories my father and uncles told of fishing huge schools. Those days are gone. It's up to us to allow their populations to increase so they can feed the bigger fish. We need them. Dorothy, do you have one? Oh, yeah. This one comes from John in Santa Monica, California. Um, he says, Good to see New England fisheries managed by people who are knowledgeable in the principles of modern ecology. This is evident in your management of herring as forage fish. So he's trying to, you know, be a little proactive, saying, hey, good job making that decision, guys. Uh, I have one from Larry from the Big Apple. Uh, as a descendant of many generations of fishermen and as a coastal resident, I'm well aware of the need to maintain sustainable herring and alewife stocks. The health of the whole fishery is dependent on the health of the feeder fish. And Holly writes from uh, Clean, Texas. That's K-L-E-I-N. Fine? Fine. Fine. <laughs> uh, 
I'm not sure how much of Texas is clean, but um, oops, shouldn't have said that. Uh, I take that back. My apologies to Texans who are listening in. Uh, I live on Cape Cod. I see marine mammals starving and stranding, collapsing herring stocks, birds falling from the skies as they starve. What will it take to make a sound long-term decision to protect ecosystem health and to remember that entire systems depend on forage fish, not just humans? Uh, we're going to take a quick break, um, and then we'll return with some more comments from people from all over the country. We've got a comment from we got a signature from South Dakota and Wyoming. Alaska, Those are, Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. But Netherlands, uh, you know. Even oh, oh, far away, too. Yeah. So we, we selected some American comments to share with you that uh, we typically like. So we'll be right back. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. 
Hi, we're talking about caring, and you can help by coming to our webpage at oceanriver.org and uh, clicking on the picture and words herring, and that will lead you to our campaign page. And we'd love to have your comments about why herring and shad are important to you, why we should cut back on our taking of herring from the sea so that we can always have herring in the sea. And um, the, the more personal stories are the ones that really resonate with us. Some people are very good at repeating the science behind it, uh, but that gets a little tedious. If you can bring it home, um, it would really help us. Uh, it would really help the government push forward responsible legislation because they know it's the voices of the people calling for it and not just some elevator speech that's been refined and stuff. So, Dorothy, why don't you share with us another of your um, selected uh, comments? Right. This one I list a lot. I thought it was really funny. This one comes from um, Carol in Belding, Missouri. Missouri, yes. I'm not that great with postal codes. Um, she says, herring sustain many other species and are indispensable to a healthy marine ecosystem. We cannot afford their loss despite their lack of cuteness. I thought <laughs> that was funny because, you know, everybody's trying to save the, the, the polar bears and the, the, cute. the penguins. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> Herring. Right, save the kittens. Dan? Um, yeah, this one's from Raymond from Savannah Park, Maryland. This is a man after my own heart. So uh, as an avid cook, I cannot imagine being without herring. They are delicious and nutritious and should be protected at all costs. And they are also critical to a healthy ocean environment. So it's good for the ocean health. It's good for our health and for our tummies. Absolutely. Uh, I have one here from uh, Portland, Oregon. David writes, I used to take my family to the herring run in Brewster to watch them rush up toward the lake at the top. We even gave a few a helping hand. It was fun and educational for all of us to be able to see this last leg of the herring's remarkable journey. Please act to protect these amazing fish. Writes Dave. Dorothy? Um, this one comes from Oksana in Alexandria, Virginia, who says, herring are integral to healthy marine ecosystems and whether threatened on the Pacific or Atlantic coast, the need for well-designed, comprehensive, and lasting protection is apparent. The why and how are the easy part. Now we need the political will to do the right thing. That's where we depend on you, New England Fisheries Management Council. Please do the right thing for the herring, the fisheries, and the ecosystem. I guess she calls them out specifically. Yes. You have one? Great. I have... um from um, a New York, New York again, from Giselle. It's vitally important that herring be protected because it is a very important fish for Maine. It is an important as not only a food source for people and wildlife, but also is very important to the lobster fishery as well. And that's from, from New York, from Giselle. Dorothy? Mm -hmm. So this one um, comes from Adam uh, in Seattle, Washington, who says, Every animal and fish has a place and a function in the balance of the ecosystem in which it lives. If you take away the herring, you throw that ecosystem out of balance, and from there, things only get worse for all the other creatures. We humans suffer, too, when the ecosystem around us starts to decline. The quality of our humanity is shown in the way we treat animals, fish, and any other creature. Please protect the herring as part of the delicate balance of its ecosystem and as a part of our planet. Go with the most responsible amendments. And from Madison, Wisconsin, Brian writes, 
please choose the most sustainable alternatives offered for Amendment 8 to the Atlantic Herring Federal Management Plan. I wish to see alewife and blueback herring returning every spring to our rivers. Dorothy? This is my last one. Um, Effectively managing herring includes recognition of herring as forage fish, vital prey for marine life. I strongly urge the New England Fisheries Management Council to choose the most sustainable alternatives offered for Amendment 8 to the Atlantic Herring Federal Management Plan. Alewife and blueback herring are native to our rivers, and we are working hard along our rivers to help restore herring. Please go with the amendment that leaves the most fish. This comes from Elizabeth in Appleton, Washington. Appleton, Washington. From Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, uh, Anne writes, It is our collective responsibility to save as many species as possible. It is in particular the job of the New England Fisheries Management Council to make sure that herring are protected. The Mid-Atlantic Fisheries Council brought the rockfish population back from the brink of extinction. The fishing industry survived. The same must be done for herring. So that's it for our comments. And again, we'd love to hear from you. Please go to oceanriver.org. Click on the homepage there. You'll see herring. Click on the herring. Click on the uh, write to us or the campaign or the petition page. Um, There's about any hot link there on the next page. We'll take you to the petition letter. You can see our letter, and you can um, write your comment down below. Uh, We ask that you include your uh, name and address so that uh, the Fishery Council can respond to you and because it shows you stand behind your words. Um, Obviously, you don't have to put your street down. Uh, They're not going to be writing to you. Um, But, um, but yeah, please please participate. Um, Yeah, so our plan is that we are going to... Uh, tomorrow we're going to put together a, 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 to a print out a, a letter. We're going to organize it by state and comment, and we're going to send it out to all the people who've written it to um, have a chance to take another look at what's being said, and, have a le- and there'll be a last chance to get more comments in. And then we have to submit the finished letter on Friday, a week from tomorrow, June 22nd. So please don't wait till Friday because we'll be in the final throes of uh, putting it all together. Um, and uh, we think presentation is important. So this is going to be a fabulous document about how people care from all 50 states and the District of Columbia uh, for herring. Um, Dan, what else can people do? People can sign on the letter. Uh, they can also sign up for our free e-alerts for news uh, in breaking events. Uh, include uh, specifically about the uh, Fishery Council decision. They can support the Ocean River Institute. Every bit helps. Um, school with us. Join our mighty school of fish. Yeah. Um, you can become a Deep Sea Canyon Ranger and a Sea Mountain Guardian for $2 a month. Um, and regular supporters start at $10. And you can uh, get your friends to join us in. Uh, join us in Saving Herring. Yes. So if you're on our homepage, it says support us. And if you hit that support page, uh, that's our generic support us. But I think the smallest donation you can make is $10 at that form. So I invite you to travel out with us with Deep Sea Canyon Rangers and the Seamount Guardians. This is our friends group of the Northeast Canyons, uh, Marine, Northeast Canyons and Seamounts Marine National Monument. 
So 140 miles off of Nantucket is this canyon, the first of three, where sperm whales live year-round. So you'll see other people already participating. Um, and, and I invite you to uh, the D.C. Canyon Ranger because you, you might choose to just join at $2 a month, um, which is a, a modest amount to make a big difference for herring and whales and everything. That's why that's that way. And uh, Dorothy, tell us more about reaching out to your friends and getting people involved. Yes, well, um, as a millennial, I'm well aware of the, the connectedness that we live in today. So if you want to take to social media, um, you can find us. We have a, a pop-in Facebook. If you want to share some of our articles or posts or anything like that. Uh, I believe we also have a Twitter, so I'm sure yes. it's not off-used. Um, oh, yes, it is. Oh, is it? Well, we post all our e-alerts and stuff in it, and so they're, right. they're going to post um, Or you can, you know, go old school and forward the e-alerts that you get to people who you think might be interested. Mm-hmm. Or just, you know, maybe go up to a friend, give them a firm handshake, and say, hey, I think you might be interested in saving the world today. Let's start by fish by fish. <laughs> Start with a herring. <laughs> Check out our website, oceanriver.org. And if you'd like to write to us, the easiest way, you can write to me, but it's better to write to all three of us at info at oceanriver.org. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you just want to write a comment and send it to us, um, we'd be happy to put you on the letter and um, do it that way too. Uh, we're also happy to correspond about stuff. But uh, that's, that's what we're all about, and um, we have other campaigns going that I invite you to check out. It's all about the people coming together around their interests. And today, you know, one of my favorite comments that didn't get picked up on the herring is that how much herring is part of our celebrations, that many of us have uh, herring as an important part of a meal. my family, it was Christmas Eve. The only thing close to meat was a pickled herring, and Nobody else ate it but me, but it was great. So um, this is an important uh, thing for our culture as well as for uh, the ecosystem of the sea there. Um, Dan and Dorothy, thank you for helping me make this all possible. Always a pleasure, Rob. <laughs> I like fish. <laughs> yes. You don't have to eat them to like them. You know, you can uh, uh, either way, uh, we always want to have herring in the sea. It's it, it, politically, it helps uh, by eating them in that the politicians like to know, like to serve their constituents. And if the constituents want to have fish, then the politicians want to have fish in the sea. And I won't just dismiss it as a northeast issue. Uh, so that's why it's so important that people who live outside of New England sign up and write a comment because the stereotype is that only the locals care about the local stuff like herring. And this is a national treasure, as you know. And when any of us go to the beach, you know, we want to know that the ocean is clean and full of fish. So thank you all for listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogue. Until next time, please take care of yourselves and then take a moment to take a little care for this planet. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then.